Welcome to the Dinner Party Download. This is your icebreaker. A baby seal walks into a club. That's my favorite joke. I'm Brendan Francis Noonan. I'm Rico Galliano, and this is the Dinner Party Download, the show that helps you win this weekend's dinner party. That pretty dark icebreaker came from a pretty dark filmmaker, Tim Burton. Thanks for living up to your reputation, Tim. And if you want to see more of his dark vision, he's got a new exhibit up at the L.A. County Museum of Art this week. Yes. And coming up, renowned actor Michael Sheen, Tea Party Godiva, Peeping Tom, and the sandwiches bring us back to the sea. That sounds delicious. But first, time for small talk. All right, Rico, so the headlines this week were a touch macabre, actually. All right. Maybe Tim Burton hurt was reading the newspaper. Turning to a dark show here. It's like Garth Brooks, that double album. The album it is exactly dark. like Garth Brooks' double album. You know, speaking of things that were popular last decade, Dr. Kevorkian. Oh, yeah. A leading advocate of assisted suicide yeah, passed away. Right. It's kind yeah. of macabre. Unassisted, it seems. Apparently, they're still, f- yeah, figuring through no help of his own. Also, Sarah Palin was back in the news. She's yeah. going on a family vacation. In a humongous tour bus wrapped in the Declaration of Independence. It's a subtle sort of trip, yeah. but why, why is that macabre? Well, some would say that she helped assist John McCain in uh, killing his chances of becoming president. Oh. Yeah, like a political Kevorkian. Yeah. Um, and last, John Edwards was indicted over misusing campaign funds to cover up an affair, thus committing career suicide. Nice. Yeah. From a suicide career to a career suicide. See that? I'm watching yeah. you. <laughs> folks, to assist you in not killing the vibe at your dinner party, we asked the folks at Marketplace to share a few more upbeat stories. John Haas, editor, what story are you going to be talking about this weekend? All the tech blogs are talking about a prototype alarm clock that would have a uh, built-in shredder, and you place money into the alarm clock, and if you hit the snooze and don't get up in time, it shreds your dollar bills. But this is not for sale yet, you're saying? No, but the mock-up photos that are online simulating a $100 bill being shredded. Gets the point across. <laughs> Definitely. No, it, fortunately, it does not exist. I would lose so much money. I would lose a lot of sleep. I don't think I would ever fall asleep out of fear. Avishai Artsy, assistant producer for Marketplace. What's your story? A woman in Pennsylvania goes to take money out of an ATM and her hand gets sucked in. Wait, this really happened? Yeah, it took firefighters to get her out. All right, so who's going to say it, you or me? Yeah, it costs an arm and a leg. (laughs) I was thinking that this identity verification thing has gone too far. George Judson, managing editor, what story are you going to be talking about this weekend? Well, there's a company up in San Francisco called Hipster.com. They're hiring, and they're offering a $10,000 hiring bonus. All right. A year's worth of Paps Blue Ribbon. Uh, oversized glasses, skinny jeans, a bow tie, mustache grooming. All the accoutrements of being a hipster is what you're saying. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Public radio should do this. They could give you like a, you know. A uh, Prius. Uh, or a Volvo. Uh, Birkenstocks. Uh, I actually have Birkenstocks, so it's not just a stereotype. Wine club. Cheap wine club. Yeah, and a year's supply of tote bags. That's not negotiable. And now... Time for cocktails. Once again, we tell you something that happened in history, then give you a fitting drink to serve along with it. It's like history is a washing machine that soaks your clothes in booze. Huh, is that why you smell like you do? Well, it's, an, it's just not a very good washing machine. <laughs> first, the history. This week in 1678, the city of Coventry, England first celebrated Lady Godiva. Now, the folks at your dinner party might know Godiva rode nude on horseback, but there's more to the story. Michelle Phillippe is here with the naked semi-truth. 
Lady Godiva might be history's first tax hawk. It was the year 1057, and Godiva was married to an earl, Leofric. Apparently, she was the moral one in the couple. While she bestowed artworks on churches and funded monasteries, he was busy taxing the people of Coventry into poverty. That didn't sit well with Godiva. She pestered Leofric to ease up, and finally he lay down a dare. He'd revoke the taxes if she took a spin through the city on horseback in her birthday suit. You know the rest. The godly Ms. Godiva trotted through town au naturel, and her surprised husband banned taxes, except the one on horses. Hundreds of years later, Coventry first celebrated this pious act with a reenactment, the Godiva procession. But did the ride really happen? Some think it's a myth that the procession was just a Christian replacement for a pagan festival. And some details of the story were probably added later by squares, like the story of Peeping Tom, who peeped at the nude Godiva and was struck blind. One thing's sure, the procession still happens today, with the stand-in lady discreetly draped in something sheer. So that's the history lesson. Now it's time for the booze. I'm on the line with Robert Wood. He is the bar manager at the Kenilworth in Kenilworth, England, right outside of Coventry. Robert, this should be easy, right? Creating a drink that makes people take their clothes off. Really easy. (laughs) This is exactly what cocktails are made for. All right. So uh, what did it inspire you to make? We've created a drink here called the Peeping Tom. Of course. What's in the cocktail? A very specific tequila, Arete Reposado, because the logo is a horse. (laughs) All right. Um, So we have that element there from the legend, of course. Now, what we also do is we add Godiva Original Chocolate Liqueur. That's right. And then we also have an Italian vermouth called Puntimez. Okay. And then uh, we call this a peeping Ron element. <laughs> There's a, a new room on the market at the moment called Ronda Jeremy. Uh, it's Ron Jeremy <laughs> himself has created his own room. The, the porno star, Ron Jeremy. Indeed. Who actually, to protest taxes, probably puts clothes on. Right. Okay. Pour it over um, into a glass with no ice in it. And you get that beautiful kind of sweet chocolate aroma. That sounds delicious. Um, but I have a question for you. You know, this whole story with Godiva, the nudity and everything, doesn't sound very British to me, you know, except maybe the tax part. We, we've just had our sales tax increase ourselves. The VAT here has just increased to 20%. Now, do you think um, those new taxes were necessary or was it just kind of a ploy to see if they could get people naked? Uh, I think maybe if that's not what they're thinking, it's maybe what they should be thinking. <laughs> So, Rico, there are a couple other ingredients in that cocktail. Really? Uh, like honey, okay. bitters, no fig leaves, though. <laughs> Probably doesn't come as a surprise. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> Folks, you can get that drink recipe and all our previous drink recipes at our website, dinnerpartydownload.org. No shirt, no shoes, no service. Our guest of honor this week is Michael Sheen. He played Tony Blair in The Queen, David Frost in Frost Nixon. He's the vampire Arrow in the Twilight series. Right now you can see him in Woody Allen's Midnight in Paris. And this week he stars in the drama Beautiful Boy. And Michael, welcome. Thank you very much. This story is about the parents of a kid who commits a horrific school shooting. The subject's been examined in the media a lot. Gus Van Zandt's elephant also comes to mind, but you rarely see this from the parents' point of view. And I wonder how you researched this role. I can't imagine that there was a lot of research out there. Yeah, and also, you know, it's a very sensitive subject. So in terms of getting in touch with people who had been through the experience, it was uh, I, I decided against trying to do that. You didn't contact anybody? No. I don't know. I didn't feel comfortable with that. And I didn't feel like... I mean, in a way, what you see these two characters go through, 
they have no points of reference really that's sort of the point of it and so the sort of feeling of confusion and not knowing what you're supposed to feel like or what you're supposed to do in that case was very um, helpful I think for us. You've made sort of a name for playing these historical characters Tony Blair this is in a way another portrayal of a real type of character. How much responsibility do you feel to the people who are alive and actually dealing with this kind of stuff? I mean, I think, you know, anything that involves choice is a political thing with a small p. There are various choices you can make in terms of portraying a character or what stories you decide to be a part of. And the choices you make are obviously are saying something about you as a person. Exactly. And they're, and they're saying something about what you feel about people. So, you know, there's a large responsibility in that, even if it's Arrow in Twilight. But, yeah, certainly about subject matter that is not often done. I mean, this story is normally it would be from the point of view of anyone else apart from the parents. So it may be the only time that side of the story gets shown. So when you do things like that, then there's a responsibility to get it right. That feels like such a burden to me, though. Uh, well, it's an opportunity. And, and it, the fact that it is new means that it's untested, can explore things and hopefully not going to fall into cliche because there is no cliche on that subject matter because it's never been done before, really. I would be remiss not to mention Midnight in Paris. You get to play one of Woody Allen's great stock characters, the stuffy intellectual. It's always an incredible dichotomy to me that one of the most intellectual filmmakers out there makes a practice of mocking intellectuals. Did you get any insight in working on this film as to where that comes from? Um, I think he has an interesting and complex relationship with intellectualism. Clearly. Yeah. The character that I play, I think you're absolutely right. He is sort of like a stock character in a way, sort of commedia dell'arte or something. Yeah, yeah. I mean it as a compliment. Yeah, I love yeah. that character. Absolutely. And and I think it performs various functions. It's a character that allows the central character to feel both superior and inferior. And I think that's the sort of heart of that relationship for him. We have two standard questions that we ask everyone. The first is if we were to meet you at a dinner party, what question would you least like to be asked? Oh, there are many questions that I don't like being asked. Um, How do you like being an Englishman? Yeah. In that you are a Welshman? Yeah, which part of England are you from? That's always good. I'm from the Welsh part of England. Um, and just being called Martin a lot. I have to say I wrote my intro so that I would not make the mental slip of saying Martin Sheen. That would be like, have you seen that film Scanners? I would somehow, my anger would just make their head blow up. <laughs> All right. Our second question is, tell us something we don't know. Well, coming from Wales, the longest place name in the world is a small village in Wales. Really? And it's, yeah, and it's basically just a train station. <laughs> and the name of it is the directions of how to find it, but in Welsh. And I will now say the name of it. Rock. It's called Llanfair Pulgwingich Gogerich Llantasilioch Gogogoch. So, as you see, consonants play a fairly large part in the language. I like that the end of it is go, go, go. It's yeah, a train station. It's perfect. Exactly. I, if you do it with real gusto, then it's really exciting. You go, That's pretty cool. It's a good parlor trick, I think. I wonder how they say anti-disestablishitarianism in Welsh. That's, you know, <laughs> that's a good question. <laughs> Strangely, I think it's probably one syllable. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> 
Ladies and gentlemen, that's the Dinner Party download for this week. Thanks to Jackson Musker, Ravi Carmen, Ellen Gettler, Peter Clowney, Sandin Totten, and BBC Wales. By the way, next week will be the Dinner Party Downloads 100th episode. Oh my God. I know. We've dedicated a lot of our lives to this now. That's frightening. At least 15 minutes a week of our lives. Oh my gosh. So anyway, we need to figure out what we're going to do about that. In the meantime, if you could do us a favor and go to our website... Uh, We're going to have a questionnaire there, and we want you to tell us your ideal dinner party guests, living or dead. Who would you like to have at a dinner party? Um, Ours will eventually be there when we get around to it. Uh, The website's dinnerpartydownload.org. Go there and give us your dream guest list. And we leave you now with One for the Road, a song to listen to on your way to or returning from this weekend's dinner party. The song is called Here Comes the Sea, and the band is called The Sandwiches. There is a T in there, sandwiches. That's right, so it's like a witch cauldron this just gets spookier by the minute this episode that's right bon appetit
I'm Rico Galliano. And I'm Brendan Francis Noonan. Thanks for listening. All right. Nice show, guys. Um, by the way, that word for anti-disestablishmentarianism in Welsh, it's actually Gusvatkishustiadice. <laughs> That's pretty good. How, how would you know? Oh, um, yeah, I served in Wales when I was a Royal Marine. All right. Hi, BBC Wales. Hi. Hi, I'm with American Public Radio. What is the Welsh word for anti-disestablishmentarianism? Right, can you hold on for a second? I'll look in the dictionary. Okay, gus vasca Whoa. That would explain his posture. I can also kill a man with a twig.